Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. For a half hour. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm really excited about today's guest, Brian Childress. He's a technical advisor, fractional CT. If you're wondering what that is, there's previous episodes about what a fractional CTO, CMO is. And we're going to talk today all about um, technology, innovation, software, SaaS, founders, entrepreneurship. I'm really excited about today's guest. Brian, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Really excited to be here. Yeah, we had we connected through Podmatch and um, tell people about your background, your story, how you got started, and we'll get right into it. Yeah, so I got into technology uh, many, many years ago. Um, so I'm a software engineer, software architect by trade and training. Uh, so I had the opportunity to work with a number of different businesses and startups building out their technology, building out their software. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was about, what was it about, uh, you know, when, uh, when I was growing up, you know, the mantra was to get a, get a job basically and, you know, high paying professional job, but now it's like software is eating the world. So what, what was it about software that, you know, appealed to you? It's kind of interesting. I didn't really get into software until probably after my undergraduate. Uh, you know, I wasn't the kid that had a, you know, was writing uh, games and code at eight years old. That just, it wasn't me. Um, but I got into software because I, I really like solving problems and I really like building things. And software just turned out that it offered both of those. Software as an industry really requires you to be constantly learning. Like it is required to always be learning or you're going to fall behind really, really quickly. And I think that really spoke to me, something that I really enjoyed. And, and so I've just continued to go down the the software and technology rabbit hole. Yeah. It's so appealing because um, they say that one day in software or in tech is like one month in the real world. It like moves so fast, you know, uh, just looking at like, you know, chat GPT when it came out in November and now it's like, now they have generative AI and, you know, deep fakes and um, the, it's just exponential. Talk about scalability also, because that's one thing is uh, software scales, right? So um, it's infinite. Talk, talk about that. Yeah. So one big area that I focus on is scalability of software. And I work with a lot of companies and a lot of organizations just to try and understand how are they approaching scalability? Uh, so I tend to talk about it in three ways. 
Um, usually software scales uh, by adding more users, right? That's kind of what we think about, uh, you know, the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, how many users they have. Um, but we also need to be able to scale by just adding more features, right? Customers are eager to have more functionality, easier to use software. Uh, and then the third place that we scale is around um, adding more developers. How can I add more engineers? And in the world that we live in now, that usually means those engineers are spread across the globe. I typically work on projects where we have five to six different time zones at play. We have folks kind of spread all over. What's interesting though, a lot of business software can be very, very simple. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be complex. It doesn't need to be you know, built the same way that Google does, just doesn't have the same you know, requirements. And so I work with a lot of companies to just, you know, make sure that what we build is actually what they need and not like, you know, what some some big tech company might need. And um, I love this idea of um, like creating a prototype or a MVP, minimal viable product. So talk about uh, for non-technical founders, a lot of founders, they are good marketers or sales or they're good at building relationships. So talk about simple software always wins in developing software as a non-technical founder? Yeah, this is a really interesting area. Um, <laughs> I get to work with a lot of non-technical founders. And, you know, it, I, I like to say that technology is the easiest part of what we do, right? The, the marketing and the sales and the interaction between people, like that's the hard stuff. Technology is fairly easy to build, right? I mean, we can... Um, you know, it's coming to that as a technologist, maybe it's it's pretty easy for me to say that. Uh, but as a non-technical founder, it's really, really amazing uh, with a lot of the new platforms that are coming online that are becoming available. Someone that doesn't have a deep technical background is able to build on their own and they can really start to solve business problems. They can really start to make really good money um, for their, you know, in working with their customers without having to write actual custom software. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can do before we ever actually have to start, you know, building an app or, or creating something out there. Oh, uh, and what are some of like biggest challenges non-technical, uh, founders face? This is something I've been thinking about a lot and, and talking with a lot of colleagues in the industry on. And I really think that the challenge that most non-technical founders face is that they don't know what advice is good advice. And so I'll give a, an example. So a lot of non-technical founders, right, they have a great idea. Like you say, they're great marketers, they're great at sales. And so they don't know, like, how do I solve this problem with technology? And so they kind of go out and say, hey, I need someone to build me an app that's going to do this thing, right? And so they'll go, they'll talk to their friends. They might have a cousin who, you know, created a website at one point. Um, they may go to some new college graduates. Uh, they may, you know, try and hire a consulting agency and they're going to get a huge uh, estimate for what it's going to take to build this thing. And so they just, they're confused. A lot of non-technical founders just don't know where to start. And so, you know, they may have limited money to actually put into the project. So they're going to kind of buy what they can afford right now. And a lot of times, unfortunately, what they're buying is actually not really a, a good product or good advice. Uh, so that's 
usually where I come into the mix is after uh, a non-technical founder has had that experience where they've worked with a development agency or they've worked with a freelancer and just are not happy with what was created. Uh, so I get to come in and, and kind of clean things up and get the product going in the right direction for them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, so the other question is what factors to consider when hiring freelancers, consultancies, or agencies? And we'll talk about making or how to avoid mistakes when building a SaaS company. Yeah, I think to, to take your first question there, like what are some of the areas that uh, are things that we really need to consider? Yeah, this is a great area to look for recommendations from friends and colleagues who have they worked with and had actual great success talking with other clients of the freelancer, the development agency, seeing what their experience was like, uh, really just getting a good idea of what they're able to deliver. Uh, one of my um, I don't know, benchmarks that I look for when uh, interviewing either freelancers or development agencies is uh, how many questions do they ask of me as the person trying to hire them? versus how much, you know, just initial guidance are they giving? Because if, uh, you know, a freelancer or an agency comes in and says, oh, I have a rough idea of what you're trying to build and it's going to, you know, require these technologies and it's going to take us this long and require this many people and it's going to cost this much, but they haven't really like dug into the business and really understanding what it is we're trying to build. To me, that's a pretty big red flag. Um, because they they have a prescribed set of ways that they work that may not fit in my unique uh, scenario. Talk about avoiding these uh, mistakes when building their, their SaaS company. Um, and you also talk about risk of hiring an offshore developer. Yeah, so I think um, a lot of that can probably go kind of hand in hand. If you're hiring anyone and you know offshore just makes it a little bit more complicated, um, but if you're hiring anyone, I think one of the biggest things that I try and guide founders or, or companies to is to make sure that you have ownership of everything. And so what I mean by that is when you hire a freelancer, or you hire a development agency and you haven't done these steps, uh, it's typical that the, you know, that freelancer is going to maintain and host all of the source code. They're going to be hosting your systems, your software somewhere. And so they are actually in control of essentially, you know, all or a large portion of your business. And that can put you in a really bad place in the future, right? If the freelancer is hosting all of the code on their servers in their accounts and something goes bad or they just kind of disappear, you know, in the middle of the night, your code is gone. Like there's not a lot that, you know, as someone coming in after the fact, there's not a lot that I can do to help. Um, so I always encourage, you know, founders to be the ones to, to set up the GitHub accounts, to set up the hosting accounts, and then just grant access to the freelancer, to the development agency so that they maintain control. Another thing that I always encourage folks to do is like, be constantly getting updates that you can see and play around with. Uh, a lot of the horror stories that we hear is, oh, I just paid this freelancer 50 or or $100,000 to go and build this thing. 
they disappeared for three months, kept telling me that we were making good progress. We were making good progress, but then I never actually saw anything working. I could never play around with it. And that is a big, big red flag that unfortunately uh, I see a lot of folks end up losing a lot of money and time um, mm. because they, they just aren't seeing progress. Um, mm. You should be requiring, you know, at least weekly uh, where there's updates that you can kind of go in and play around with to make sure that what's being built is the thing that, you know, you had in your mind and what your customers are telling you they want. It's all about control and ownership in these days. Um, control your your IP, your brand, your platform, control yeah. your time, income, everything. Uh, don't put it in the hands of, you know, some outside entity or, you know, whatnot. The other question is, should founders spend time building their idea or validating the idea? I encourage founders to validate the idea. I like to say, like, it, if you can't sell, you know, a, a prototype or sell the idea to someone, you either haven't found your ideal client, you haven't, you know, hit on the right pain point that folks are really looking for a solution. Um, so building custom software, you know, spending months and hundreds of thousands of dollars isn't going to get you there. So I always encourage founders to validate that idea. When you have people just trying to throw money at you because they're so excited that you might be the one to solve their problem, then you know that you've touched on, uh, you found the right uh, solution and you found your ideal client. You've been really uh, with AI in the um, with the buzz these days. It's all about AI. How do you see AI changing the startup landscape in the next five years? I think AI is really, really interesting space. Like I'm very excited to kind of see where things go. Uh, I mean, I know if we watch the news, there's all kinds of you know crazy, scary things. And in being in technology, I absolutely understand how those could manifest. Um, but I think that AI is really, really going to push us forward in significant ways. The startup ecosystem is going to be changing significantly. The ways that we can access information and the speed at which we can understand information is really impressive. I've had the opportunity to work with a number of AI-focused uh, startups and the ways that they're able to process just so much information and distill it down into something that we as humans can easily wrap our heads around is just incredibly impressive. And it's only going to continue, right? We're just in those very early days. And like you mentioned earlier, like we're just seeing that speed up so, so quickly. Um, yeah, it's, it's so it's um, AI is going to be, it's going to be a platform and it's going to be a service and it's going to be interesting to see how companies use AI to scale and <clears throat> how they use AI. For example, ChatGPT, there's like a 20 bucks per month subscription um, for the plus. And then, so what advice do you have for founders looking to scale their SaaS company? So again, I think scaling happens in three ways. Um, if you're trying to add users, really try and figure out the current users that you have, what do they like? What do they not like? And double down on the things that they do like and try and address problems with the things that they don't like. See if they have friends, see if they have colleagues that have uh, similar challenges and you may be able to bring them in on your product. Scaling the underlying infrastructure, that's fairly easy to do. I mean, there's a lot that we can just pay more money for hosting. 
um, to, to add additional users. And then I think just being very strategic in your product roadmap, uh, just making sure that the features that you are adding to the product really make sense for you in the, the medium to longer term strategically. Uh, a lot of areas I see uh, founders kind of get tripped up is they try and add features for every customer that they have. And then over time, the, the product just becomes very confusing, very difficult to uh, work on and customers just become kind of frustrated. So don't try and solve everyone's problems, but really being strategic in what features you do add to the platform. Yeah, I love, I love that. Um, you know, kind of as we kind of wrap it up, we have around five, seven minutes uh, talking about, you know, your success, what's helped you succeed, what's held you back, um, how can people contact you, you know, check out your work, reach out to you, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so some of the things that I think have really led to my success is really uh, pushing myself, uh, you know, pushing outside of my comfort zone. Uh, speaking you to you today, you know, four or five years ago would have terrified me. Right? <laughs> uh, but now I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I love going to speak at conferences and being up on the public stage. Um, but to get there, that really required me to push against my comfort zone. Um, I am really, really excited about technology. And so I try and learn and consume as much information as I can about everything that's kind of happening in the technology ecosystem. Even if it's in an area that I don't necessarily do work in day to day, I still think it's very important to kind of stay up to speed on what's going on and how things are evolving. Uh, so I, I spend a lot of time listening to podcast, uh, conference talks, and reading blogs and that sort of thing just to stay up to date with what's going on. Uh, YouTube webinars, podcast, live stream. This is like the modern day speaking tour now. <laughs> I mean, you can, I mean, you can do five five in a day. You know, you know, you don't even have to get out of your 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 homes. It's incredible. How can people uh, follow you, reach out to you, your contact info, etc. Yeah, so the best way to, to find me is uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, so Brian-Childress on LinkedIn, feel free to reach out, send me a, a DM uh, connection request. I'm happy to connect with anyone. Uh, and we can certainly schedule a call and, and I can help you out any way I can. Yeah, and for all the audience out there, it's a really fascinating discussion with Brian. Um, you know, I love his, his story and his nuggets. Be sure to check him out. He's on LinkedIn, Twitter, and all of his resources will be in the links and show notes. And with that, thanks so much for coming on. It was a great discussion. Thank you. Really appreciate it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. listening if you liked it be sure to like comment share subscribe we're on everywhere spotify itunes google amazon audible and without much ado be sure to thank this show's sponsors and
we'll see you next week.